Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and if you've been with us you'll know it's been an interesting journey looking at marriage, sex, singleness, divorce and I'm glad to say that we are going to do something different today so we are looking at an underlying principle that Paul lays out here that has implications for marriage and relationships but Paul applies to religious practices and also really interestingly our work. And we're just going to look at this underlying principle that Paul looks at. And it feels like a a bit of a strange turn in the chapter. But there is a reason why Paul gets there, which we're going to see in just a minute. But let me just start by asking you this question. And it's a question that may send shivers down your spine or may cause a sense of anxiety. Um, I would imagine most people at some point have thought about this question and wondered how it applies to them. And the question is this, what is your calling in life? Anyone ever wondered that question? Like, what is the thing that you should be doing in life? What is your purpose? Anyone ever sat at a laptop at like two in the afternoon, sending another email wondering, is, is this it? Like, is this my purpose in life to be organizing these meetings for them to chat and me be bored again and again and again? Can I get an honest, an honest witness in the house? Has anyone felt like a slight gnawing feeling of like, is this my purpose in life? I can tell you that sometimes even as a pastor, I sometimes feel like that. So I would imagine that for many of us, we go through these moments of anxiety of wondering, is this it? And I think there's a whole bunch of reasons why this happens. And I want to just give, give four quick reasons why I think it's a particularly like, prevalent feeling that we have. First is, firstly, we have, we have options in our culture. Like I was thinking just this week, I'm wondering whether we should even do it. You know, we, I often ask Kiki, like, so what do you want to do when you're older? You know, because it always changes. So it's quite interesting. So she wants to be a ballet dancer. Then she wants to be a vet. Then she wants to be an artist and a writer. She wants to be all these different things. And it's always changing. So it's just curious to know, like, where she's at at this point in the week. OK, you want to be a vet. That's good. Good. We'll find out what you want to be tomorrow. And it's kind of curious, but it's a really strange thing to implant this seed in a seven year old. Like that they basically basically could make up their mind to do anything that they like and we teach our kids don't we you can do anything you like the world's your oyster which kind of sounds exciting till you get to your teenage years and then your 20s and you think like what what on earth do I do and your 20s and 30s can be spent in this kind of like fearful anxiety thinking if I say yes to this career well that means I can't do any of these and you get paralyzed and thinking and then sometimes later on in life you can get into your 40s 50s plus and start regretting did I make the right did I do the right degree did I choose the right career path etc 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 because we've been given options and it can be like exciting but also dizzying and for a lot of cultures even today like the idea of just being able to choose whatever you want to do is like completely alien we know that Jesus was a carpenter right 
except that the Bible never tells us that Jesus was a carpenter. All we know is that Jesus' dad was a carpenter because Jesus grew up in an era, there was no careers advisor to say, hey, Jesus of Nazareth, what would you like to do with your life? He was like, my career path has been set. My dad is a carpenter, so... He didn't have a, like, I'd like to be an interior designer, actually. It's not really my thing. No, no. His dad was a carpenter, so he was a carpenter. There was no choice. But we have options. So it can feel like really produce anxiety. We also, secondly, we live in this individualistic culture that basically says it's all about me. So we can do stuff based on what I want and in my feelings. There are many other cultures that basically you're kind of told what the expectations are from your community or from your parents, whoever it might be. This is what you are doing. Anyone grow up in a culture where you had to be like a lawyer or a doctor or a pharmacist or something like that? You're like, that's your career path. We don't care what you're good at because it's been told to you. But us in the West, we're like, oh, I'll choose. In fact, we like, that's what we celebrate, right? We we choose it's us and thirdly we've also conferred onto our jobs and careers kind of godlike status that we expect our jobs to provide inner fulfillment and meaning don't we it's interesting i mean it's been said that if you want to know a city's gods you look at the biggest buildings so you look at corinth the biggest building was a temple to aphrodite the goddess of love. Historically, if you went to London, look at the biggest buildings, there were churches, St. Paul's Cathedral, the Abbey. These were the biggest buildings. But now, what are they today? It's like the Gherkin, it's the Shard, it's the city, it's skyscrapers. The biggest buildings are those set towards work because work has become a God for us. And we expect our work to confer the blessings of status and fulfillment and meaning and wealth upon us. And we're also aware that if we don't treat the God of work right, that we might be cursed. Maybe if we don't do the right things or we don't choose the right path because we expect it to to bless us. And again, it goes back to this whole thing of options. Because I, I, and I was thinking, if, if you went to someone who was in Delhi, whose only option was to make pots for a living, and you said, hey, what career path are you choosing that's going to give you fulfillment in life? <laughs> I'm working to make a living. That's like, you look to Jesus, like, hey, what, what would you like to do? You know, carpentry, what kind of carpentry? What's going to really fulfill you? Like, it's like, this is my job. This is what I have. And yet we have conferred this godlike status, expecting our job to give us something that touches something deep down in our souls. And the fourth thing is this. I think we're quite confused about the whole issue of calling. Like, what is it to be called? And I think, I mean, I'm talking to mainly Christians here. And if you're not a Christian here today, we're, we're so glad that you're here. And I hope you're helped. And we hope ultimately you, you meet Jesus. But I think as Christians, we can have this strange idea of calling because we throw, out, throw around the word a lot. But it's kind of, has anyone seen Toy Story? I'm sure lots of people have seen Toy Story. And you know there's little, little green three-eyed aliens, yeah? Anyone with me? Come on, people, like Toy Story. Thanks, John. All right, you're with me. I've got a hand at the back, okay. And Buzz Lightyear, I think it's number one, doesn't he? He jumps into that little like thing in the 
And he's like, who's your leader around here? And they all look up and they go, what do they say? The claw. Yeah? Anyone with me? Yeah. Come on, people. I'm preaching here. And they're all like, the claw. And what do they say? The claw dictates everything. So they're all waiting for the claw to come. And I think Christians, we think of calling a bit like those little green aliens with three eyes, waiting for the claw to come. That there are some people who go to a better place. I've been called to a better place. I've got a better calling. And then there's the rest of us who are just doing our normal everyday life, right? So some of us, the claw comes and gets us. Ash has been called to Indonesia. The claw has come. He's got a calling. Amazing. If you work for the church, you've got a calling. If you're a pastor, maybe you have a calling. The claw has come and it's got you. And the rest of us, we're just like doing normal things, wondering if we'll get a calling as well. Is anyone connecting with that feeling? It's this, it's this poisonous idea that the church, sadly, has taught in the past for hundreds of years that there is like a better form of work that is more churchy. And the more churchy your work, the better or more approved or more pleasing that work is to God. And if you do, if you're like a farmer or if you're working as an accountant, like it's fine, but the better thing if you are really pursuing God, is to be doing the churchy stuff. And so many of us live with this anxious, uncertain, sometimes lacking meaning feeling in our work. And it can cripple some of us. And I don't think we're ever really going to connect God with our work unless we find what Paul is trying to give us here, a sense of peace in the work itself that we are doing right now. And this is Paul's whole dilemma because he's talking to a young church and people who are becoming Christians and they were doing all sorts of jobs and all sorts of situations. And what was happening is there was this feeling that as soon as you became a Christian and you're now spiritual, that you had to change everything of your life and do new things. So there were some of them who were saying that marriage is no good because you're a Christian, you're all about God. So they were leaving their marriages. Some who were saying sex is no good. So they're not having sex with their partner anymore. So they're like, okay, we're finished. I'm just with, for Jesus. And there were others who were circumcised and saying that was a bad thing I don't want to be circumcised and those who weren't circumcised saying maybe I need to get circumcised to be more approved to God and it seems there were some people who were switching jobs or stopping work on the basis that this was not spiritual enough because they were now bound to Jesus their eyes had been opened to the glory of Jesus there is a saviour there is a kingdom out there there are eternal realities there is a heaven and there is a hell there are eternal realities that we are destined for there is a gospel that is the power to save and yet tomorrow morning I've got to wake up and sew cloth to cloth for eight hours a day and then the next day I've got to sew cloth to cloth for eight hours a day and then the next day and they were struggling with this feeling that this is not very significant when there's a kingdom out there to be one and so Paul speaks into this situation and says something that on the surface may not feel radical, but I think is fundamentally countercultural. Look in verse 20, he says this. He says, each one should remain in the condition in which he or she was called. 
So whenever you become a Christian, whether you were a freed person or a bond slave in this situation, whether you were circumcised or not, whether you're an accountant or whether you work in marketing, whether you're a mother, whether you're a father, whatever you are, remain there because God has called you to that role in life. And he goes on and says it again in verse 24. He says, so, brothers and sisters, in whatever condition each was called, like whatever job you were doing, there, let them remain with God. Paul is trying to fight this itch in us, this restlessness to kind of be working, but always wondering what's the best option that will really touch the depths of my soul? What's the thing that will actually give me my sense of peace and meaning and fulfillment in his life? Say, no, I want you to find peace exactly where you are, which for some of you might feel like a challenge. But there is a way with God for us to be content with our job and there is an ability in christians to live in such a way that we can remain not always with one eye on a second option or a third option but to display the kingdom of god where we are by saying my status and my meaning is not defined by a promotion or an increase in salary or a different title or a new career change but is defined by god the christian vision of work is quite profound because it doesn't place work as this kind of godlike thing that confers blessing and status on us and neither does it do this other thing of saying like work is an inconvenience to the real stuff of the kingdom i mean even we we're just driving to, to church today and there was this big i think it was like a holiday company trying to sell a holiday that's the vibes i picked up but it was something like there's more to life than work and some happy guy splashing you know sea into his wife's face or something like that it's just like they're having fun they're frolicking in the ocean it's like work is not it so we're super confused is work like everything or is it an inconvenience that gets in the way of doing like leisure and holidays and things like that christian christianity says that work is a form of worship to god and the vision for christians in london is that we come to church on a sunday like now and we give our hearts and our and our beings to jesus and we worship jesus with loud singing with arms raised passionately giving honor to him and then we turn that worshipful singing into worshipful working on a monday and we enter our workplace with as much passion in those emails and those meetings and with our boss and our colleagues and our team that we had when we worshiped jesus on sunday because we declare that jesus christ is lord not just over sunday meetings but over all of london and of all the nations and he is lord of all amen and so with our lives we display that lordship of jesus by saying this work matters this office place matters what i am doing matters and i am here with christ and for christ so the christian vision of worship of of working is worship and so we enter the workplace with as much focus and vision as we do on a sunday And Paul gives us some resources to find ourselves in that place where we can rest and abide in our work. Let me just say one big caveat in all of this before some of you might be feeling slightly claustrophobic and breathless at the thought of me saying basically you can never change job. Okay, 
It's not actually what Paul says, because he says this interesting and very helpful pastoral caveat. He says in verse 21, were you a bondservant when you were called? Do not be concerned about it. Don't always have your eye on buying yourself out of slavery. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. So he's saying, so find your peace in your place where you are right now. And if an opportunity comes along, go for it. It's fine. See, if someone knocks on the door and says, actually, we'd love you to think about this job or there's a promotion here. Would you consider it? Or there's a redundancy or whatever it might be. Or you sense even a prophetic call or someone speaks to you. Like, go for it. Pursue it. Open doors. Try. Attempt things. But we are rested where we are. Does that make sense? Do you see the nuance of that? There's a difference between being restless and trying to think that this job, this thing is always going to be the thing that fixes it. Or being said, I'm here, unless there's a sense in which God's calling or someone's, there's an invite to something else. So I want to say four things about work, and I'm trusting that they'll be helpful. Okay? Firstly, God has called you to your workplace. Hear a hallelujah from at least one person. Come on. (laughs) Only, verse 17, only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. So Paul has this understanding that, yeah, we make our decisions as to how we get to our jobs. You think, well, I, I applied and it was a messy process and I got made redundant from that job and I had to apply and this thing came in. So there's so many human factors and cogs that happen and emails that happen to get us to certain places. But Paul has this understanding as a Christian that behind all the events of human doings, there is the invisible hand of God that is leading us and shaping our lives. And he has us in exactly the places that he desires and so if we find ourselves in our 40s as an accountant that is how God has apportioned us and he desires us to be there if we're studying and now we're not sure about is this the degree I'm not sure God has for whatever reason called us to this place with this degree even if you don't end up doing the degree the working with the degree i mean how many people hands up you think why did i do that degree we trust god that he had an invisible purpose behind that he assigned that purpose he says paul says in another place in act 17 talking to people who didn't believe in jesus and he says this he says god made from one man every nation of humanity to live on all the face of the earth having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling so god has chosen that we live here in 2023 no point wishing we lived in an earlier era or in a later era god has apportioned that we be the one to extend the kingdom in this moment of difficulty this is his calling for us and he says and allotted allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling even the where has been determined by God even if you hear Manish and Merrill's story of like coming to London God has been at work which is your story right God has brought you guys from India to the UK for a purpose this is God's doing that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him God has got you in your workplace so that you might know him it's not an obstacle to knowing God 
He has called you to that place so that you might know him there. Yeah, it's tough, but God has got a purpose for you in that place. The second thing is this, how you work is more important than what you do for work. It is important. I mean, and if you're in an industry that is like overtly crystal clear, sinful, like the advice today is stop it, hand in your resignation and do something that is not overtly and explicitly sinful. But for the majority of careers, what you do is far less important than how you are doing it. This is what he says later in this, in this passage. And he, he's talking about circumcision, but the principle is there. He says in verse 18, Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. And you have to understand, for people who are Jewish by upbringing and culture, this next sentence is shocking and offensive. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. So he doesn't say, you know, circumcision's bad, so please don't do it anymore. No, it's like, he just moves the whole conversation, this whole dialogue, should we or should we not get circumcised? And he's like, nah. He just puts it to one side and he says, what, what is the most important thing? Keeping the commandments of God. So we can distract ourselves with these kind of religious theological discussions that go around in eddies. And he's saying, that is just not the issue. Are you obeying God where you are? And he applies it to bond servants and freed people later. Because he, he says, um, basically, his attitude is like, whether you're a bondservant or whether you're a freed person, it's neither here nor there, really. You follow Christ as a bondservant or you follow Christ as a freed person. The issue is, how are you following Christ where you are right now? The job that God has got you in is the sphere where he wants you to be a disciple. The Christian understanding that our jobs don't get in the way of being a disciple of Jesus. They are the environment in which God wants to forge the character of Christ in us. Sometimes we get discipleship and ministry kind of confused because we think, well, the disciple, getting discipled is kind of what happens when you meet with someone and you read the Bible or maybe when you come to church and you hear Bible teaching or, you know, have an older mentor who meets with you like that's discipleship. And, and really, that is a part of discipleship, but that's coaching you to be a disciple in the place where God has actually called you. I wonder sometimes where our desire to be disciples, to discipled is actually a form of escapism, trying to get out of the difficulty of the place where God has actually got us to be the disciple. Ephesians 4 tells us not that there are, there are five gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers. And he says, these guys, these gifts of the church, they don't do the work of ministry. What we're told in Ephesians 4 is they are equipping the saints of the church to do the works of ministry wherever they end up. So my role right now as I'm teaching is not to be doing ministry, but to be equipping you guys who are on the front line being disciples in the workplace to be doing ministry there. 
And ministry is not just shouting out hallelujah when something goes well at work or offering to pray for someone or giving a worship clap to Jesus because the worship song that you really like came on in the middle of a meeting. It's probably not a sensible idea. The actual ministry is being a Christian while you send those emails, while you deal with those frustration, frustrating meetings at work. That is the place where God wants to forge you. And sure, it's not easy. And there are a lot of frustrations and work can grind us down sometimes. But it's in those places, I would suggest, that faith is actually forged. If you go to the gym and you want to build muscles, you have to work and tear your muscles down. There is a grinding down process for muscles to get strengthened, for your aerobic system to get strengthened. And just because you feel like you're getting weaker and weaker in your workplace does not mean that you're failing as a Christian. It might just mean that you might be going through one more rep that God is taking you through so that you might come through the other season, that season, strengthened in your faith as a disciple of Jesus. Amen? Amen. So how you do your work is more important than what you do. Thirdly, our identity is in Christ and not in our work. Paul gets to this when he he talks about bondservants and freed people. And just to say, when Paul talks about bondservants, it's not the equivalent of modern day slavery. So we shouldn't read modern day slavery, which is evil and horrific, back back into this. This is much more akin to an employment status. And many people with high status and educations were bondservants of wealthy families who were essentially in the employ of that family to serve and work for them. So this is far more akin to a modern day employment situation. And Paul says this, were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it, but if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man in the Lord. So are you bound to a family or today? Are you an employer, employee with a boss? Maybe a boss that you would rather not be your boss. Are you in that situation? Paul says your primary identity is as a freed person of the Lord. So you might feel like I'm the bottom of this organisation. I get overlooked and mistreated and underpaid and I feel undervalued. And yet you are the bondservant of Jesus Christ and therefore you belong to him and therefore you are a freed person and then he goes and says the opposite and says likewise he who was free when called when they became a Christian is a bondservant of Christ you were bought with a price so do not become bondservants of men and women and your employers and your workplace do not become captive again to the ways of this world because you belong to Jesus Christ you were bought with a price so someone asks you at the next like house party whatever what do you do for a living I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ what do you do for a living that's our employer now because we belong to him no matter whether we are an employee or an employee and this shapes everything because it means now I'm I'm not free to change job like if I I just don't fancy it anymore I'm going to do something else why 
because I'm not, it's not, I'm not my own. I was bought with a price. I have dignity and I belong to Almighty God and He dictates the terms of my employment. Oh yeah, these people pay my salary, but He is my master. He is my Lord. Martin Luther, he says this, a Christian is a free Lord of everything and subject to no one. Isn't that good news? A free Lord of everything and subject to no one. But what do we Christians do with that freedom? We don't walk around our workplace all sassy and like, I'm not doing that. I don't have to. Jesus is my employer. I hear I'm a bond servant of Christ. I don't like that work of my work anyway. I'm doing this. No, we don't use our freedom to get sassy with the world. What do we do? He then says a Christian is a willing servant of everything and subject to everyone. So with our freedom, we choose to willingly serve even when our employers and our bosses and our system is not perfect we say i will willingly serve anyway i am so free i can choose to come and put myself under your employ that's how free we are as christians and it doesn't define who we are and our status because i belong to jesus it's good news fourthly we work with god there is this like re- pregnant phrase at the end that is full of a world of meanings in verse 24. He says, So, brothers and sisters, in conclusion, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. And that can mean a few things with God. It could mean you can find God in your workplace. Don't worry, guys. He's there. He's waiting for you. When you get to that meeting, you are with God if you are a Christian. That's true. But Paul uses, he could have used a couple of different words for this word with, but he uses the word para, which is a prefix for all sorts of different words that we use today. So we have like paramedics, obviously, who work alongside other medical staff. You have paralegals who work alongside lawyers and solicitors. The Holy Spirit is called the paraclete because we're told he is the helper who comes alongside us and works with us to help us. And now Paul tells us that we are to remain alongside with God. The inference being we are there to work alongside with God as he is working because he is already at work in the workplace i wish we had more time to go into this but maybe we'll another day but let me just say this from genesis 1 and i got another four and a half hours to do a bible overview so just hang tight no i'm joking i got a couple of minutes in genesis 1 we're told that god creates he forms the heavens and the earth and he takes six days to create and this inhabitation for us essentially getting a house ready for humanity so that on the sixth day he can create adam and eve us humanity so that we can dwell in this environment full of the the glory and the righteousness of god What is God doing in that first week in Genesis 1? God is taking dominion of this raw material of life. We're told at the very beginning in a couple of verses of the first bits of the Bible that the earth was without form and void. That basically it was a jungly mess, disordered, not inhabitable. No human could live in this place. No human could thrive in this place. And so God steps in and takes dominion over 
his being, his work, and he creates order out of chaos. He is taking dominion. We're told in Psalm 103, this is exactly what he's doing. We're told, bless the Lord, all his works, in all the places of his dominion, bless the Lord. So God is taking dominion over the earth and he continues to do that. That is his job. And yet what does he tell us at the end of Genesis 1 to do? The first thing he says, now you guys have dominion. You guys now look after the earth. And so if we're thinking about it, like, well, is it God's job or is it our job? We need, you know, really clear lines of communication. Who's doing what? Delegation, etc. Like, who's doing what better? Are you doing the dominion or are we doing the dominion? And the biblical answer is yes. God's working and taking dominion over the face of the earth. And he calls us to take dominion over the face of the earth because we work together with God. And he operates through the everyday jobs that he has assigned to all of us to take dominion over the face of the earth. Martin Luther, the German monk who sparked the Reformation that cracked through Europe and we are still living in the good of it today. Up until Martin Luther in the 1500s, there was this basic idea that the better kind of career path was to become a monk or a nun. And honestly, looking back at the, that, it was not like a particularly exciting life. You were there's solitude, you couldn't get married, you weren't really allowed to eat a lot, you had to do a lot of fasting, prayers, Bible readings, you were cut off from society. And if you were like a lesser type of Christian, you just carried on doing your work as a farmer or an accountant or whatever it might be. And Martin Luther realised as he was studying the Bible that the gospel is so good that we are saved only by Jesus Christ, only by his righteousness. And because it's only Christ's righteousness that saves us, and it's not through my religious practices that make me more approved to God. If this is actually true, the implications of that are that I could go and get married, I could have some children, I could drink beer, and I could work all to the glory of God because Christ is my righteousness and not my prayer life. And so what did he do? He went and got married, he had children, he sacked in the monastery, he started his own brewery, a little fact for free, Martin Luther, he drank his own brewed beard, he was boho Shoreditch before Shoreditch existed, he did it himself and he did it all for the glory of God. And he said that the peasant boy working on the farm is as much as a priest as the Catholic priest doing mass in Latin because we're all declared righteous by Christ. Amen. Amen. This is wonderful news. And what he did is he understood that when we go about our life, we are working as priests with God. And so he says this in one of his commentaries on Psalm 147. He says this, God could easily have given you grain and fruit without your ploughing and planting. Basically, God could have figured out a way of feeding us without there needing to be like Tesco's and lorries and deliveries and infrastructure and ploughing and farmers, etc. 
God's God, right? So he could have figured out a way of us needing, not needing us to do anything. But he does not want to do it so. What else is all our work but just such a child's performance by which he wants to give his gifts in his fields, at home and everywhere else? These are the masks of God behind which he wants to remain concealed and do all things. So how does God want to bring order in your industry or to, co- to society or to London? I mean, if you ever like, you walk through London sometimes and I'm just amazed that this city even works. You ever wondered that? Like there's 9 million people who live in this city and like we are seemingly always on the precipice of like some kind of disaster, like electrical disaster, flooding disaster. The latest thing in our city is a sewage disaster. I didn't know if you knew that. They're building a huge like 20, 30 mile super sewer right now that's almost completed. And this is free like geographical, historical, like in trivia for you. There's like, just, there is this massive super sewer because any moment now, the sewage cannot cope with 9 million people going to the loo every day. And so we're having to like, the infrastructure of how we live is on and how does God keep us in a city that operates seemingly so smoothly through us he is at work taking dominion over London through us through nursery workers through teachers through accountants through professors through lawyers through street cleaners through waitresses and waiters us enabling life to work and behind all of this is God providing all things and he says this we have this saying God gives every good thing but not just by waving a hand God gives all good gifts but you must lend a hand and take the bull by the horns living in an agricultural society he says make the bars and the gates and let God fasten them labor and let God give the fruit. Govern and let God give the blessing. Fight and let God give the victory. Preach and let God win hearts. Take a husband or a wife and let him produce the children. Eat and drink and let him nourish and strengthen you and so on. In all our doings, he is to work through us and he alone shall have the glory from it. Amen. Does it make sense? So we are doing all the time in our work, providing, and yet it is at the same time God is taking dominion through us. And it's like we are the mask of God as he takes dominion over the face of the earth. So let me break it down just for a minute for us. In Genesis 1, God is creating order and beauty from what is disordered and chaotic. So wherever in your jobs you are taking stuff that is disordered and not working properly and you order that in such a way that it helps other people, you are taking dominion and you are working with God. Ever been in a situation where your team is in a muddle and people are not communicating and things aren't going well and they're grinding to a halt? If you are part of the process of figuring that out, you are working with God to bring order and an environment where others can flourish and do their work. If you are a parent who is continually tidying up the kitchen and scraping off cereal and other materials that you wouldn't want to think about right now again and again you are working with God to create an ordered and clean environment so that children 
can flourish and do well. If you're an accountant and there's invoices and all sorts of stuff and you've got to get the monthly accounts ready or the annual, you are doing a work with God, taking dominion all of that and presenting it so the company can th thrive and do well and understand, bring, have clarity. You, you get what I'm saying? God is a God of justice, amen, and we're told the promise is that he will work for justice. He will work for those who are oppressed, the underprivileged. So whenever you find in your workplace that you are touching that, you are working with God. What do lawyers do? They touch the work of God through bringing justice in all sorts of situations, equity between companies and peoples and individuals. We're told that God heals the brokenhearted. So whenever you sit down with someone, you listen to them, or whether you work with a charity or an NGO, and you are working to see those who are underprivileged and those who have their lives broken by circumstances outside of them, you are working with God to heal the brokenhearted. We're told that God provides all the nourishment that we have. And so if you are in the food industry, even if you are the person, the last person to bring that tray of food to the table and do it with a smile, you are part of the process where God is providing food for us. You get my point. I'm laboring it now. But we work alongside God. Hallelujah. The Christian vision of work is, is profound. And we have a God who is a worker. So much so that he came to enter into our life and all the sin and all the mess and all the stuff that does not work. So much so that he was willing to take on all of our sin and all of the disorder into himself and onto his body. And he spent what seems to be a very calm 30 years working as a carpenter. We don't get much about his life, but in those early years, it seems he was a carpenter and until there's an opportunity to become a preacher and then to do the thing that I'm called to do until God the Father speaks I'm working as a carpenter so for 30 years of his life he worked with his hands produced tables and chairs and doors for his local community in Nazareth and then at 30 God called him one to be a preacher but to prepare his heart to be the savior of the world and he goes towards a cross, which symbolizes all of the sin and the disordered uh, work in our life. And he takes on all of our sin on himself. He does the final bit of work, which means that we never have to be restless in our workplace. And when Christ takes on our sin on himself, what does he cry with his last breath? He says, it is finished. And in that moment, he takes all of the need to approve ourselves because in Christ, he takes our sin and gives us his righteousness. And in his resurrection, goes to the right hand of the Father so that we can wake up every day and rest in the fact that all the work has been done. I don't have to go to work tomorrow to prove myself to, to my colleagues, to my own heart, to Jesus. It's finished. And from this place of approval, I work. Amen.